welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Hello and welcome to Polygamer Podcast, episode number 78 for Wednesday, June 13th, 2018. I'm your host, Ken Gagney, and happy Pride Month! Not only is it Pride Month, but Polygamer the podcast turns four years old next month. And on that very first episode, we discuss at length Gamer X. And so for Pride Month and our four-year anniversary, we are returning to our roots. Joining us today is the executive director of Gamer X, Katie Kachuk. Hello, Katie. Hi, Ken. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I am all right. So you are the executive director of GamerX. I want to learn all about what that means and what you have planned for the organization. But first, for our listeners who may not have heard that first episode four years ago, what is GamerX? GamerX is a 501c3 nonprofit organization created to support and celebrate and uplift queer voices in gaming. Uh, It started as a convention. The idea was that a few dozen queer folks would have a big, awesomely gay party at a hotel in Japantown in San Francisco. And then after the convention was announced, the response was just much bigger than the, uh, the organizers had anticipated. So the convention pretty much grew out of that. And then around that, the gaming company Midboss sort of grew up and GamerX convention became part of their business. They did four conventions in the Bay Area, two in New York and in Australia And as things changed and the purpose of GamerX was truly codified, it was decided that uh, GamerX could best serve its purpose as a nonprofit organization. Since 2017, we have been a nonprofit, and now in 2018, we're working on expanding our programming. You almost sound like you're speaking from personal experience when you talk about some of these past events. Were you at those first GamerX's? I was not at the first one. I was at the second one and the third one. And those are in the Bay Area. Have you been to the New York and Australia locations? I actually have not. Ah, so you haven't had your feet on the ground, per se. I have not, no. <laughs> what was your experience like at those other GamerXs that you did attend? Magical. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really unique convention. It's um, one of the most special spaces I've ever been to. What makes it so special? I've read some testimonies from the likes of David Gator, but I'd love to hear yours. GamerX was created as this safe space for people who are LGBTQ to come and just be nerds together, which isn't an opportunity that most people get. So when you are in that space, you feel like you are the default. You're not the other. You are the person for whom this space was meant. And you don't get that at a lot of other gaming conventions. So you can just let down your barriers, not have to filter yourself, and just enjoy being you. Yeah. And that's not something that happens at things like PAX East? I don't want to throw shade at PAX. And, and you're right. I, I probably shouldn't call them out specifically. I just mentioned that one because that's the one I've been to. At non-queer specific gaming conventions is what we call them. Excellent. So you don't have that experience at non-queer specific gaming conventions? No, I mean, you often feel like you are just... I feel like when I go to a non-queer-specific gaming convention that I don't really belong there. I'm just sort of visiting. I I can't own the space, and it just... It doesn't feel great. It almost feels like you're intruding on a space. That's really unfortunate, especially for a podcast like this where our slogan is, Gaming is for Everyone. Gaming is for everyone, and that's the sort of environment that GamerX tries to create. 
I've heard people tune out of this podcast in the first 10 seconds because they thought that was such a ridiculous idea that it needed to be expressed. They thought, of course, gaming is for everybody. Nobody is debating that. It doesn't need to be said. But apparently it does. No, it absolutely does. Because, I mean, I am both a woman and queer and I've never truly felt safe or accepted in other gaming conventions. I mean, I I have fun, certainly. Like, uh, for instance, PAX is fun. It's a it's a great weekend, but it's not it's not the sort of comfort that I get at a GamerX event. And those who want to learn more about that can listen to the first episode of Polygamer because in that episode, I confess I went into that podcast not really understanding the need myself for GamerX. I thought it seemed like a step away from integrating. Like we want people to be safe at all conventions, and why can't we have that? And I, you know, it took almost an entire episode for me to wrap my head around it. And I've, you know, I was always a supporter of GamerX back in on Kickstarter, even before I ever attended one. But I really didn't understand it, except that I trusted the people who were telling me it was necessary. GamerX is an open convention. We welcome everyone who wants to come as long as they, you know, obey the rules, no harassment, no assault, that sort of thing. So I do want to talk a lot more about GamerX, but I also want to talk about your history leading up to you being the executive director. So going, oh boy. <laughs> your dark and shady past. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. You were director of operations for Feminist Frequency, which is... I was. An, in the interest of full disclosure, I have also backed their Kickstarter, their Drip campaign, and I also, by day, work for the company that hosts their website. But I want to know what you did as director of operations. So it was a lot of spreadsheets. Uh, a lot of data analysis. I kind of did the boring office type stuff, the collecting and cataloging documents, that sort of thing. I uh, would issue the occasional donation receipt that didn't get generated automatically. Uh, and I would deal with some of the communications like press requests and scheduling. And I also read the email coming in from the public contact form, which is where a lot of the harassment came in. Oh, you poor thing. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, I got a lot of that. <laughs> How did you endure all that? It was hard. And eventually it was for my mental health that I left the organization. Not because of the organization itself. Oh, just absolutely not. What it was exposed to. Yeah. Feminist Frequency has some of the greatest minds working for it. And I agree with their uh, ideas and I fully support what they're doing. They're, they're great folks. And you have not been subjected to anything of the, like that degree at GamerX? No. Oh, I wonder not yet. That <laughs> uh, not yet. I think I saw one mean tweet. Just, just the one. <laughs> wow. That's fantastic. I know. I know. Well, just, yeah. just wait. I think. <laughs> You've had some experience at GamerX before your prior role. You were the program director. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, for all of two months. <laughs> What did you accomplish in those two months? My main goal as programs director was to expand the programming that GamerX offered. So our first and subsequently the only project I worked on was a pilot program to get more queer folks opportunities to go to professional game development conferences. So this year we focused on GDC. Game Developers Conference. It's held in San Francisco every year, and you know it's a great 
opportunity for game developers who attend. There are talks. There are really great parties. There are open roundtables. You can really hone your professional skills. But most importantly, you're making connections with other people in the games industry. The problem is that it can be really expensive to attend. Passes alone are around $1,200. And then there's hotel in San Francisco and flights and meals, and it all really adds up. For people just breaking into the industry, they don't often have that kind of money to spend on professional development, unfortunately. So what we did is we took five LGBTQ game developers and we gave them conference passes and small travel stipends. And we were also able to organize a dinner where they could meet and talk with some really awesome queer developers working in the games industry. We wanted to give them the opportunity to make these really important connections because connections in the games industry, as in every industry, mean jobs. So the idea is is that if we have more queer folks getting jobs in gaming, we have more voices at the table and we have more and if we have more queer voices in gaming, the more normalized invisible queer characters become. So when people start to see queer folks all around them in their lives on television and in their video games, they'll think less about LGBTQ people as being the other. And this was the ho- the thought behind the first and it turns out the uh the only program I was in charge of <laughs> for my two months as program director. It sounds like you accomplished a lot in two months. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It was a pretty good two months. <laughs> How did you get roped into that in the first place? I started working sort of with GamerX around 2014. It was actually while I was working at Ubisoft San Francisco. I was on the committee that was handling the, the Ubisoft booth activation at GamerX2. And the other organizers in the group had some game demos planned and some guests to bring to the booth. But we didn't really have any budget for swag or anything really cool. But we had me. And I was being a little intrapreneur back then. So while we were planning this activation, it just so happened that the entire marketing department at Ubisoft was moving desks. So everyone was cleaning out, uh, cleaning out all the old swag they wanted. So I just went around to all of the people in the marketing department and asked for things that I could bring to Gamer X2 to give away. And I ended up with crates of stuff to bring and it was, you know, it was it was pretty good. <laughs> I also was able to borrow a dev console. So we had the first public demonstration of one of the Just Dance games. So and then there was the Pagan Min. So are you familiar with the game Far Cry 4? I know of it, but I've not played it. So in Far Cry 4, which is a Ubisoft game, uh, in Far Cry 4, the main villain is called the Pagan Min. And there was this cocktail party at GamerX2 for special guests and sponsors and the attendees who had purchased the the higher price passes. And Ubisoft had sponsored a cocktail for this event. We sponsored a drink. And I like to play around with mixology a little bit. So I came up with the Pagan Min. And... The Pegamin is an alcoholic beverage that is, uh, <laughs> uh, well, for context, Pegamin is very blonde, and he wears this bright pink jacket, right? And the Pegamin is a drink that is both bright pink and completely evil. So you make it in a champagne flute or a wine glass or whatever, and it's like one part gin, one part pineapple juice, a splash of grenadine, and then you fill it with champagne. It is delicious, but it it it'll get you there. It is straight up evil. Uh, funnily enough, it was at that cocktail party where I actually met the staff running Gamer Axe. And you got them drunk on the Pig and Min, and they hired you. Ah, uh, they didn't hire me. I was a <laughs> consultant. I consulted with them uh, for for several years until until this February when I actually joined the organization. It's great that Ubisoft didn't see that as a conflict of interest. 
Um, well, I didn't start consulting with them uh, like formally until after I had left Ubisoft. Got it. Okay, now I got yeah. the timeline. Yeah. Okay. So you joined GamerX as program director. You served as two months, and then you got promoted to executive director, which is a much bigger role. What does that entail? You know, it's it's really strange. I've uh, I've worked at several nonprofits in my life. And when you look at the, the executive director position or the CEO position from below, what you see is sort of like the captain of a ship, someone who's making decisions and deciding which way the organization will go, etc. But being actually in the position, I feel like I feel more like a curator. No one achieves anything alone. And I have an excellent team of brilliant, creative people behind me who care deeply about GamerX and the community we serve. And being in the role of executive director for me is about taking their ideas and their thoughts and their work and bringing it, bringing it together as a whole. Uh, GamerX is a very small organization with a very small operating budget. And in my day-to-day, I wear many hats. I do sort of the basic operations work that I did at Feminist Frequency that keeps a nonprofit going. Uh, and then I'll be planning conventions, too, and working on securing funding for programs. I have a lot of help, but, you know, I, I also do a lot of different things day to day. When you say you take their ideas and, and realize them, that almost sounds the opposite of what most people expect a corporate hierarchy to work like. For example, a CEO dictates what's going to happen and then all the employees scurry to make it happen. Whereas it almost sounds like you are working for your employees. I don't feel that GamerX is the sort of organization where I can just dictate what's going to happen. I mean, this is a labor of love for so many people, and it's so very important. And I really like to take the input of the people who work with me and put that into the organization, put it back into the organization, because this organization is as much theirs as it is mine collaboratively, you are all working together toward what? What sort of new directions or visions or ideas does GamerX have now that you are the executive director? Well, we are expanding our programming, but I can't really announce anything right now, unfortunately, until things are sort of more concretely gelled. You tease. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) So what would you say you are doing as executive director? What is a typical day in the life of Katie Kachuk? It is really different day to day. Currently, I get up and I look at my email and I see who has emailed me during the day, during the night, actually, because I'm on the I'm on the West Coast. And a lot of the people who we are working with are on the East Coast right now. So they email me at like four in the morning for me, which is great. (laughs) Um, I am forming strategic partnerships with people. I'm uh, getting advice and important advisory comments from several people and currently right now we are replacing our entire board of directors so a lot of what i do from day to day is sort of talk to people and see if they'd be interested and um, gauge what sort of support they could give to the organization but that's going to be temporary Um, as we move forward it will be more me planning conventions with my team and finding sponsors and 
dealing with the concerns of the attendees and getting people to come, that sort of thing. You said you're recruiting new board of directors. What makes a good board person, if I may ask? Do they need to work in the games industry? Uh, Games industry is helpful. We are recruiting, uh, we are focusing on people who are either working in games or tech or people who put on events, pretty much. And GamerX is planning more conventions, I I hope? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we are. I haven't seen anything on the calendar for 2018. That is true. We are not doing any in 2018 because we are in a transitional spot right now. It's a little too close to program anything into uh, 2018 because we've only got six months left of it. However, however, this is very important. We are planning a GamerX East event for early 2019, and I can't reveal any details, but the East Coast folks should stay tuned. Oh, that's exciting. I'm on the East Mm -hmm. Coast. I will stay tuned. Yeah, you definitely should stay tuned. I'll let you know. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) I know that previous GamerXs, both East and West, have used crowdfunding a lot, especially Kickstarter. Is that something that you're going to look to use again? We are going to continue crowdfunding when it's appropriate, but now that we are a 501c3 nonprofit, we can look for more traditional uh, nonprofit funding, such as grants and um, foundation funding. That's true, because you said that in the history of GamerX, which is now many years, Mm -hmm. it only became a nonprofit just in 2017. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Just last year, around this time last year. Now, I know you were not employed by them at the time, but do you have any insight that you can share into what goes into becoming a nonprofit? Because GamerX had uh, existed for a while and did have a... They didn't have a lot of financial resources, but they had a lot of money coming in and going out. They had to go through what's called a long-form process. So it's a very long-form Uh, and they had a lawyer go through it instead of doing it themselves because it's very complicated and you can mess it up really easily. So basically you have to promise not to make profit from what you're doing. And also, uh, there are some documentation of financial resources and, uh, things like that involved. I wasn't around during that time, so. <laughs> Even though you still have worked for other nonprofits, so you have plenty of experience. I've always been a little confused about that stipulation that one cannot make a profit because, for example, I recently worked for a hospital, which was mm-hmm. a nonprofit, but you can bet that the doctors got very well paid. So paying employees does not count as profit. Uh, for instance, if you had investors, in your nonprofit, that's no longer a nonprofit. If anyone, if anyone who gives you money is respect is expecting a financial return from it. Okay, I think that I get it now. Thank you. You can you can pay the people who who um, provide you services. Like we can pay contractors, we can pay employees, but we can't say I put a thousand dollars into the into the organization. I can't get money back out of it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I never understood that. Now I do. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What are the benefits to being a nonprofit? One of the benefits is that you can take donations and then you can issue a donation receipt. And the people who gave you that money can deduct it from their taxes. That's one of the primary benefits. Also, you're eligible for software discounts and discounts on some goods. And you're also eligible for in-kind donations, which is when a business 
or I think a person, but usually it's primarily a business, will give you a physical good of some sort. And they can take the amount for which that would sell. So um, not the amount for which they paid, but the amount for which that would sell and deduct that from their taxes. So if a baker gave you muffins for an event, donated muffins, they could deduct the price that they would sell the muffins at, not the cost of the ingredients. It's a good benefit for the people who, uh, who, who donate to you. That's why I'm always seeing solicitations for donating my used car to various organizations. I can get a receipt for the value of the car. Yes, you can. <laughs> Great. So GamerX just became a nonprofit last year, and it hasn't held too many, if any, events since then. How is this going to change the future of GamerX? Other than that, you perhaps have more sources for funding. Will the attendees really notice anything different? I don't think so. I mean, it shouldn't change the event too much, other than the fact that the um, some of the activations at the events may be tax deductible. It depends on what they do with tax laws in the next year. So if a, if a, if an, if a gaming company came to the event and gave us money for it, a portion of that might be tax deductible. And I would hope that more gaming companies are coming forward to support this event. I know when the event got off the ground, that was sort of hard to do. But we're seeing more and more queer characters in video games. It seems like it's becoming more accepted and that video game publishers and developers might be less hesitant than they were five or ten years ago. Absolutely. The industry has has definitely changed since 2013 and for the better. I mean, you used to not see queer characters in games or the word gay would be treated as something awful in a video game but now it's becoming way more accepted i mean take for instance dragon age inquisition which had i think no less than four queer characters in it wow i've never actually played that game i didn't realize there were that many Oh, you haven't? It's excellent. It's one of my favorite games. Oh, I should look into it. I have had a love-hate relationship with BioWare. I wasn't a huge fan of the Knights of the Old Republic games, which was weird because everybody else loved it. I didn't play those. I played uh, Mass Effect. And you finished the whole trilogy? I did, and I liked it. I don't know why everyone got so mad about the third one. The fourth <laughs> one, though, is not... It's, it's not my cup of tea. The Andromeda, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've heard not great things about it. The, they completely changed the controls, which I could. I used to be able to play Mass Effect because you could stop combat and and aim and and do some stuff. But in the new one, it's just like no, you have to go 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 all the time. It's annoying. So it's more of an action game. Yeah, not 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 my style. Not your jam. <laughs> not my jam. What are some other gay characters that you've enjoyed playing as or seen in video games lately? Ooh, that is a good question. Let's see. Um. I recently finished Night in the Woods. Night in the Woods has a gay couple in it, and depending on which track you're playing in the game, what decisions you make, you can a girl who is attracted to other girls, and that's exciting. Gone Home is one of my favorite games. Yeah, be- yes, absolutely, because you're playing this queer girl's sister, and you're sort of discovering her life through through journal uh through journal entries and it's just it's beautiful it also has this advantage of being this game that's sort of creepy the whole time you're playing it and you expect to be scared but like it never happens it just has this nice like warm sort of happy ending to it 
Yeah, it is creepy walking around this entire house and you're wondering, where is everybody? Where did everybody go? Right. Right. There's that one jump scare, but, you know, which I will never forgive them. I will never forgive Fulbright <laughs> for that one jump scare. But otherwise, you know, great game. And they also put out another game recently, um, Tacoma. Tacoma had uh, several queer characters in it. And I also love that game because it has this great non-linear storytelling to it. It's it's fantastic. Have you played it? I really wanted to because I'm a fan of Gone Home, but if I recall correctly, Tacoma came out for systems that I don't have. Oh, I played it on PC. I don't have... Oh, oh, no. oh wait a minute. I don't have a PC or an Xbox, but now that I'm looking at Wikipedia, it says it came out for PS4 yeah. just last month. Yeah, it came out really recently for PS4. Yeah, it was originally released in August of 2017, and so it just sort of fell off my radar. I didn't realize mm-hmm. there had been a port just a month ago. There you go. Now you can play it. It's super good. I will have to go get this. Thank you. Yeah. Have you played What Remains of Edith Finch? Oh, I have. Yes. Yeah, there was... I don't remember the characters' names, but there was the one who he works in a like a fish factory, and he's sort of de- delusional. Right, the brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there were definitely some queer elements to that story. Yeah, you can sort of pick whether or not he's he's gay or, or bisexual, perhaps. Right. Yeah, and I remember that whole sequence. You're trying to, like, chop fish heads and also play sort of an RPG at the same time. It's really weird. Yeah, that... Uh, Susan Arndt, who has been on the show before, that was such a favorite scene of hers. I think she got a tattoo of it. Oh, my God. I, I, I believe that. Like, <laughs> the whole mechanic of that scene is so unique. It's yeah, it's probably one of my favorite moments in gaming. Now, another one of my favorite games of the past few years, depending on how you play it, it may or may not have queer characteristics similar to What Remains of Edith Finch, that being Life is Strange. Oh, yeah. I remember Life is Strange. I didn't play the final episode because I was too scared. <laughs> but I did definitely kiss Chloe. Oh, you went that way, huh? <laughs> of course I did. Come on. <laughs> what about the prequel, Before the Storm? I just started that one. I'm not too far into it, so so no spoilers. No spoilers, except that it is fantastic. Oh, good to know. Good to know. Yeah. And I don't know if you bought the deluxe edition, which comes with a bonus episode. Maybe I did. I don't remember. Uh, but that is probably m- my favorite episode of all the Lives is Strange. <sighs> okay. Okay. Yeah. I will. If I didn't buy the deluxe episode, I will just. I'll. I'll just buy it again. It's fine. Yes. If that's. If that's the case. Yeah. Yes, it's totally worth it. Oh, and you know what? I we need to get off this kick eventually because otherwise we'll just be talking about great games. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that, but no, not at all. I still have not played The Last of Us. I didn't play it either. I well, I played like ten minutes of it. I didn't like it. Ooh, unpopular opinion. Yeah, I know. I didn't. I didn't care for it. I'm. I don't know. It just didn't grab me. But I hear that this DLC left behind. I think that that one has an excellent storyline. So I might have to just grit my teeth and get through it. And I think the character that is featured in the DLC is also going to be the main character of the sequel that's coming out. Oh, ooh, did not know that. Interesting. Again, I haven't played the game, so I haven't paid too much attention to them, but I think I have my facts straight on this one. Mm-hmm. I know it's. I know it is definitely a queer-related game because um, my uh, social media coordinator, Stephen, he wanted to feature that DLC. So in our in our queer game of the month thing. So yeah, he's he's telling me it's a good thing to to play. I did not know you had a queer game of the month. 
excuse me, not Queer Game of the Month, Queer Game of the Day for Pride Month. The day? That's amazing. Queer Game of the Day, Whoa. yeah. For, for all of June, we're featuring one queer game that either has queer characters or um, writers or developers, ideally all three, and we're featuring one game every day. So far, we have featured uh, Gone Home, Dragon Age Inquisition, Dream Daddy was June 1st, then we did Butterfly Soup, and then Gender Wrecked. That was the one I was thinking about. Gender Wrecked is this very interesting visual novel, very interesting art. It's kind of creepy, very fun, very weird. I like it. And also the Radiator series by Robert Yang, which is something I haven't played, but uh, our social media coordinator, Steven, really, really likes it. So I trust his judgment. He's He's got good taste. I would say so. In fact, I just noticed that the day that you and I are recording, today's game of the day is Life is Strange. Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, such excellent taste. Such great choices. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's really good. Now, you know, one game that had a lot of diversity in its characters, both behind the scenes and in the game, would be Read Only Memories 2064, which mm-hmm. was made by Midboss. Yes. Which GamerX has a historically close relationship with. How has that relationship changed or will be changing? So as of right now, there is no business relationship between the two companies. We have severed ties. Uh, We wish them well, though. They're still putting out cool queer games. So best of luck to Midboss. Was Midboss previously like the parent company of GamerX? That's sort of an interesting question because uh, the, the convention came first. And then the same folks formed Midboss and sort of enveloped the convention. And now uh, GamerX, the organization, has spurred off of Midboss, and now we're out on our own. So you're both two different companies. One's a nonprofit, mm-hmm. one's a for-profit, both yes. advocating for equality and diversity in gaming in different ways, one by putting on a convention, one by making games. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's pretty accurate. But you have no more interaction with or relationship with them than you would any other company that's making queer games. Yes. Just sounds like having a for-profit company run a nonprofit is going to produce some challenges and it's best to avoid those. It that is 100% true. Definitely better off being separate companies. No, that that sounds totally reasonable. I mean, mm-hmm. I have been in a similar boat where I run a magazine in a space that also has a convention and the magazine and the convention are so friendly with each other and actually share some staff that people think we're sometimes the same thing and we're not. Right, and that gets really problematic. It really can, especially when you know one company is doing something that the other company might not do. You want mm-hmm. to really delineate where one ends and the other begins. Yep. No, that makes perfect sense. Nonetheless, ROM 2064 is still a game worthy of mention when we're talking about games with diverse characters. Absolutely, yeah. You know, I am not a huge computer gamer, even though that's really one of the best interfaces for point and click. I think ROM 2064 came out for PS4 and maybe coming out for Switch. I really need to grab one of the console editions because that's where I know I'll play it more. Oh, I couldn't tell you. I think I think it. I saw it for uh, PS4. In fact, I think I have a copy of it for PS4. It'd be really interesting if that game came out for Switch because Nintendo traditionally has such a conservative reputation. Uh, it does, but I mean, as with all gaming, it's changing. It's happening slowly, but it's changing. Which is very encouraging. You know, if mm-hmm, Nintendo can change, then the rest of us have no excuse. 
100% true. (laughs) Of course, some of that is cultural because they're not based out of this country, but, you know, every country has its own societal norms. Uh, Speaking of things that are changing, I'm interested to know, GamerX was created years ago to fulfill a very real need. We've talked about how the gaming landscape has changed since that time. Has the convention scene changed at all? You know, is there still that need for GamerX? Or or how has that need changed? So, yeah, gaming and gaming conventions have definitely changed since GamerX was founded. Previously, uh, there were no queer characters in AAA games, and we talked about that. But you would go to gaming conventions, and things like the Diversity Lounge at PAX just didn't exist. Like, there wasn't space for diversity or being queer at these conventions. But GamerX provides something really special. It's a space for anyone who falls under the LGBTQ plus identities to come and be what we like to call the default instead of being the other. So when I go to a non-queer specific gaming convention, which we talked about, you know, I, I really don't feel like I belong there. But GamerX is the complete opposite of that. Queer folks come to the convention and they can let their guard down and... It just means so much to people. And you, you, you see them change from day one to day four, or day one to day two or three, depending on what events we're doing, really. Um, they go from being, you know, kind of guarded, and then they just blossom, and they become who they've always wanted to be at a gaming convention. It's magical, and I absolutely think that this space still needs to exist. Do you think it's getting better for other conventions? For example... I don't mean to keep picking on Paxis, but I've heard some people say that the programming, the panels and the like at Paxis, have gotten more touchy-feely in the last five years, <laughs> which which you would think would be a good thing. Uh, obviously, the person making that comment didn't see it as such. I do, but it means that you know we're not necessarily just going into Pax talking about first-person shooters and beat 'em ups. We're talking about you know, empathy games and how to enter the games industry or what's it like to be a woman in the games industry. These are important conversations to be having. And the fact that Mm -hmm. we're having them at PAX is encouraging. So Mm -hmm. do you feel like the convention scene is changing a little bit? I do and I don't. Um, I have historically gone to PAX West because West Coaster and I really like Seattle. I went to PAX West for three or four years in a row, and I haven't been recently, but I remember often feeling like there was a target on my back, especially during, let's call it the years of 2014, 2015. But I definitely did see a change in programming, and I think there was this catalyst for that when women started being open about being harassed on the internet, started being open about being harassed over video games they played or tried to play with, uh, you know, like voice chat on. People would be open. uh, People used to be ashamed of being harassed and just stop playing the video games. But then, then stories started to come out and people started to realize that they weren't the only ones being harassed. And this sort of changed the way we talk about gaming. And we started to see more people telling their stories for better or for worse about their experiences within the industry. So there's more willingness to speak up about the the dark side of the gaming industry. 
Oh, absolutely. And there are definitely more people who are willing to speak up about what needs to change and the positive ways we can go about changing those things. I hope that change does happen. I just saw an article the other day about, I think, a streamer named Anna Morphine. I think that was her name who had some unfortunate experiences streaming and it's she shared them and it's great that she's willing to make an example of these people but it's still so embarrassing and that's just one of the many adjectives i could choose from that my favorite hobby is populated by people who will harass someone based on how they sound on voice chat yeah (laughs) i mean if i go on voice chat on like overwatch or something it'll be like you know Girl gamers sometimes you know, show us your tits, that sort of thing, which I don't know how that happens over voice chat, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but other times it's perfectly fine. Like this is maybe one time out of out of fifty that something awful happens these days. So it's it's getting better. It's not fixed. It's getting better. And it probably varies game to game. I've had on this show uh, Overwatch player Sabriel Mastin, and she says that Overwatch tries to be more welcoming than some of the other first person games. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I play Overwatch. Who's your main? Zarya. Zarya is my main. An excellent choice. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's you know, big and powerful, and she has pink hair. I mean, what's not to love? That's right. Hey. <laughs> We've talked about how things are getting better, both in gaming and in conventions. We certainly want Gamer X to continue, and that might involve some support of its own. What can people do listening to this podcast do to support the mission of Gamer X? There are lots of things they can do. So you can follow our social media. We're at at GamerX, G-A-Y-M-E-R-X on Twitter. We also have uh, the GamerX Facebook page, and you can go there to figure out, to uh, find out about what we're doing and what sort of things that we've been up to. And this month, it's Queer Game of the Day. That's really cool. You can go there to figure to to find out about those. Uh, if you'd like to support us financially, we have a donate link. You can go to GamerX.org slash donate, and that's G-A-Y-M-E-R-X dot O-R-G slash donate. Also, we are on Amazon Smile, so while you're shopping on Amazon, you can make a charitable donation at no extra cost to you. Uh, you just go to Am- smile.amazon.com, and you can set GamerX as your charity. Oh, those are fantastic. And they can also use all the social media to find out about when those next conventions are going to be held, including the East Coast one in 2019. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would watch Twitter specifically. That's that's where we tend to go. So speaking of Twitter, I have a question about your Twitter account, which there will be links to all these in the show notes at polygamer.net. Sure. I got to know, how long were you an amateur bisexual before you became a professional bisexual? Oh, gee, at least 10 years. <laughs> and how does one get to be a professional? Like, if you get paid to be bisexual, that'd be great. That's not something I can reveal on, on, on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. That's another secret to keep offline. Um, I, I am a dark, mysterious person when I want to be. <laughs> but, if, but if we can go on a tangent, for, unfortunately, bisexuality is not something that has had a lot of coverage on this podcast. We've talked about LGBT broadly and non-binary individuals, but bisexual, you know, just to make sure we're still on the same page, spell it out for me. What does it mean? Bisexuality, um, and this can vary from person to person, but for me, it means I am attracted to my own gender and other genders. There are a lot of myths about bisexuality and a lot of societal pressure to be or not be a certain thing. When I was in college, I 
had a gay professor who said that, in his opinion, bisexual individuals in their hearts really do prefer one gender over the other. Well, I mean, that can be true. You can prefer one gender, but that doesn't mean that you're not attracted to other genders. For instance, I'm married to a straight cisgender man, but in my heart of hearts, I do prefer women. Since you're married to a straight cis man, this is actually very relevant because we talked a little bit about this on a previous episode with Elisa Melendez, which is the idea of bi erasure. Can you talk a little bit about what that is? Bi erasure is basically this belief where bisexual people don't exist or shouldn't exist. Bi erasure exists in society in a way that's like really pervasive. So like you outlined earlier, people might say that bisexual people actually prefer one gender over the other and they're not. They're they're either just experimenting or bisexuality is just a phase or that because I married a straight cisgender man that I am not actually bisexual, that I am in fact straight and that's just not the case. I'm still attracted to women. Just because I decided to have a monogamous relationship with someone doesn't mean that I'm not bisexual anymore. Also, like you really just don't see many bisexual characters in entertainment that aren't treated as sort of throwaways. You'll see maybe a bisexual woman who for one episode has a relationship with a woman, but then that's never talked about again. The The whole thing isn't really explored. They'll just either go back to men and surprise they were straight all along, or or it it's treated like that never happened. You said that there is this idea that bisexual people shouldn't exist? That sounds severe. Is that true? Well, eh. <laughs> it depends on who you're asking. I don't think that's true. Well, Obviously. I would hope not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, being bisexual and all. Right. But uh, in a lot of queer spaces, bisexual people are treated as too straight to be part of the queer community or, and then in um, non- Queer spaces, they're treated as too gay to be part of the straight community. So it puts bi people in a really weird place. I have some friends who are bisexual, and they say that they have found some queer spaces to be very unwelcoming. Mm-hmm. That's that's true, because um, you get treated as though you have what's called straight passing privilege. Oh, so, if, you know, I'm, I'm just sort of extrapolating here. That means that you being married to, you know, you identify as a woman and being married to a straight cis man mm-hmm. pass as straight. Yep, pretty much all the time. And I mean, yes, but that doesn't mean that we don't belong in the queer community. Certainly. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's a really difficult position to be in where you're not welcome in either one. That's unfortunate. Yeah, it's 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 not always like that. In many very positive queer communities, bisexual people are welcome with open arms, like at GamerX, for example. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially since the, the B in LGBT is for mm-hmm. bisexual. It's always there. I mean, sometimes other letters get added, LGBTQIA, sometimes those mm-hmm. are dropped, but the B is always there, and you would think that it would be as foundational as the other letters. You would, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. No. Well, you've told me quite a bit, and I hope our listeners have learned something about that as well. Yeah, I hope they don't think that I don't like 
the the other letters, the the L, the G, and the T, because they exclude the bisexual folks. Because certainly not everyone does. This is case by case. But I mean, you know, it's it's a thing. All right, and all the other letters like Q, I, A, and all the rest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, non-binary people too. They often also feel excluded from spaces. Oh gosh, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. We had an episode all about non-binary characters uh, on a recent episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of which, we mentioned how some games, like What Remains of Edith Finch, there are characters who you can choose whether they are straight or gay, which may imply they are also bisexual. Are there many characters in gaming that are outrightly bisexual that you can think of? Shepard is bisexual. <laughs> That's true. I have not played <laughs> Mass Effect, but even I know that. That's right. Shepard is bisexual, and your hero, you, you self-design your hero in uh, Dragon Age Inquisition. They, You can play them as bisexual, so there is this option where you can have essentially a one-night stand with Iron Bull, no matter what gender you are, and Iron Bull is a male character, identifies as male. You can have a one-night stand with him, and then also have a relationship with any of the other uh, characters you can romance. Oh, so there are all sorts of options there. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Bioware games. Bioware games are repping the bisexual characters. <laughs> I wonder how much of that is due to the influence of David Gator, who has since left the group. Hopefully a lot. I, I love David Gator's work. He made Dragon Age Inquisition one of the best video games of all time. And he is also a frequent attendee at GamerX, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes, he is. That's fantastic. I hope to bump into him at a future event. I hope he comes. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he'll be invited. <laughs> Of course. Of course. David, if you're listening, call her. Yeah, call me. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we have covered so much ground. Is there anything else about yourself or GamerX that we overlooked that you'd like to chat about? We are very excited for this new phase in our in our evolution as an organization. So we've got a lot of really cool stuff on the horizon, a lot of projects to announce, and we're really excited for our community to be a part of it. Fantastic. And that community can grow, again, by visiting you online at GamerX.org or following you on Twitter at GamerX. And Katie, if anybody wants to follow you personally, where would they find you? It is at Katie Kachuk, K-A-T-I-E-K-A-I-T-C-H-U-C-K. Fantastic. And there will be links to all those in the show notes found at polygamer.net or, for a short link, plyg.me slash Kachuk. Katie, thank you so much for your time. It's been fabulous talking to you. Thank you, Ken. Have a wonderful Pride Month. Thank you. You too. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net.